day of missions, a day of the fact that you're not here by accident, that the Spirit of God draws our hearts together uh, to worship Him. It is, it is a day of prophecy, the prophecy of the coming King. Do you know this King? I know that Christmas, as um, Ryan had prayed, that Christmas sometimes brings a whole lot of emotions. There are uh, things that have happened in the past that bring both joy and sorrow at times. Isn't that true? I think it's true uh, for me. I remember the Christmas Eve of 1979 in which I, on that Christmas day, bowed my knee down to the ground and asked Sue to marry me. I'm, I'm not sure what her answer was, but... Um, no, I'm kidding. She said yes. She said yes. But also, it was the Christmas of 2013, in which my father spent uh, his first Christmas seeing Jesus face to face. And so it comes... Uh, with a lot of emotion. But what has kind of jumped out as I've thought about uh, we moving forward at Advent this year um, and and, uh, talking, and I'm just so grateful for Nate being here. Um, uh, We'd love to see the lights of Christ shine at Christmas time, and so he is kind of our Advent candle today. And as he came against sickness and snow... Uh, led by the Spirit, um, I am so thankful that he did. And we're reminded of the beauty of what God is doing in this world. Uh, But I think about prophetic words that are spoken. And I think about Christmas time. In the prophetic words that we get to share with each other is even a spoken word like Merry Christmas to strangers uh, who we would not normally talk to. Uh, the prophetic word of the beauty of the lights that shine this time of year, both on a tree and tinsel and in stores. It just is, it, there's a word of, of joy and peace and love and hope. Uh, Lord, the, uh, the, the Christmas uh, classics that we hear, Silent Night and, and Holy Night, and Ryan is going to end our time today with a Christmas song, and that will continue to build and build and build as, the, as we go on. And as we sing these words, they're words that bring hope into our lives. And, uh, and so, Lord, even the modern songs in which uh, points us to the fact that our lives are lives of gifts, lives that uh, are, are given away instead of taking and the importance of relationship over income, of how, Lord, uh, how we be, we, are we able to look through life through the hope-filled eyes of a child instead of sometimes the cynical eyes of an adult. And so it's a great time. As I think about prophecy or prophetic word, I think of the definition. It says this, it says that... Um, Prophecy is the discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purpose of God, whether by reproving and admonishing the wicked or confronting the afflicted or revealing hidden things, especially foretelling future events. But what I really like when I think about prophetic word is, is the usage of prophecy. 
It is the gift of communicating and enforcing revealed truth. Revealed truth. Truth that has been revealed. If you think about it, all of life began with a prophetic word. For in the beginning, the Bible says that God spoke and all creation came into being. But that was not the end of it. That was not the end of it. For I believe this with all my heart, that God speaks and you were born. We cannot reduce the birth of a human being down to just science. But that there is a spoken word behind every life that is born. And in Ephesians 1.4, Paul knew this too. He says, for he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world. And that for a pastor is so important to know that for, for the success of moving forward and the plan of God for our life is really based on him first and then on us willing to follow him. There has been abuse of, of prophetic words in our world today. Um, some of you I know grew up under destructive prophetic words by your parents and by others bullies that came in your life and tried to speak words um, that were not true. Uh, my wife experienced a prophetic word uh, when her mother passed away as a, young, as a young child, 18 years old when her mother died. And that, that evil word that tried to say, you're abandoned by your mother. And uh, she discovered that years later and came to realize that um, abandonment was something that was trying to speak a word over her life, and she renounced that prophetic word. But in today, we see prophetic words even being spoken. Even as in, in the land of Israel, in the war that we see in, on right now, is Hamas has come against and, and tried to say, we will destroy the chosen people of God. Death to them. They need to be eradicated from the world. And yet, we know that in the prophetic word, the God's chosen people will not be destroyed. And so, when you think about it, um, are our hearts open to God's word? Are our hearts open this Christmas to hear from the Lord? You know, when Jesus was alive, and when he lived, well, he was alive, <laughs> when he was alive on earth, He's alive today, more alive today than, than we saw him. But when he was alive on earth, he said to the religious leaders of his day, and I, I think that's a good word over us, he said in Matthew 16, he says, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the, the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the time. There are prophetic words that are being spoken today. There is prophetic words being spoken today. Hebrews tells us this, and we need to hear this um, again in the first chapter of Hebrews. I just want to read it for you. It says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heirs of all things, through whom also he made the universe. Do you believe that there is prophetic words being spoken today? 
that this word here, as uh, Nate talked about, is a prophetic word. That it speaks to our hearts. And I want to challenge you who do not read God's word on a regular basis. There's a reason for that. Because there is an evil one that wants to keep the prophetic word of destruction over your life instead of the, the prophetic word of truth. He wants that. And so he stops you. And he tells you, well, you know, you don't read really well. So why should you read? And you don't always understand what it means. So and he just, he lies to us. But there is a prophetic word that is being spoken today. And as we come to Christmas time, we realize the beauty of the prophetic word as, um, as, as the angels, we, we, we know that, that angels uh, gave the law to Moses, revealing a standard that is impossible for man to live up to. But there was a prophetic word given to two young people, a young teenager, slightly older, husband-to-be, that prophetically spoke into their lives and changed their lives forever. In Luke 1, 30-31, says here that the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And then in Matthew 1, 20b-21, it says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. When it comes to the gift we've been given to communicate and to enforce the revealed truth, we have been given a king. A king to tell to the world. And we think about this prophecy that was given. Three things I just want to focus on just for a few minutes. One is the preciseness of the prophecy. Second, the predicament of the prophecy. And third, the power of the prophecy. Why don't you turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, the 18th chapter, 15 through 22. I often call the book of Deuteronomy the, uh, the, the book of second chances. How many in this room needed a second chance? How many, how many in this room absolutely from their birth on just absolutely got it right? I love the book of Deuteronomy. It is the most uh, quoted book by Jesus himself. And it is, a it is a book of second chances. And so we go to the 18th chapter, the 15th verse. And we read a prophecy that was given to Moses. You understand that, that Deuteronomy is a dissertation that Moses gave uh, to the people before he died. And before they entered the promised land. But he gave uh, this prophetic word in Deuteronomy, starting at the 15th verse through the 22nd, said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your fellow Israelites. 
You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If What a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true. That is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. So do not be alarmed. This is a proclamation of the coming Messiah. And I love the fact that that this is such a picture of the Messiah in in that he came... Um, as an incarnate in flesh, the very person of God himself before us, so that when he speaks, he not only speaks the very word of God and the truth of God, but he is the very word of God and the very truth of God. I love it that in John, Jesus said, I say nothing but what the Father tells me to say. Do you see the connection to Deuteronomy? Exactly. Exactly. God so loved you and I that just like the Israelites, if he came here and spoke to us his own words, we would all fall down. We'd all not be able to listen to it and receive it because no one looks upon the Lord and lives. And yet he then chose his own prophet, the Messiah, to come and speak to us and to speak to our hearts and then use an unworthy messenger only dispensing his duty, myself, to do this. But be careful. Be careful that you don't You don't listen and do nothing about it. Because it is a precise prophecy. And the preciseness will work out precisely in your life, either in unbelief and rebellion or in absolute submission and abandonment in following Jesus Christ. Choose you this day. To emphasize the preciseness of it, there are over 200 prophecies of the Messiah. Just a few of them. Genesis 49.10 talks about the fact that he'll be born in the tribe of Judah. Micah 5.2, I read this morning, that he'll be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7.14, that he is born a virgin. 
I read from Deuteronomy 18 today that he would be a prophet. Hosea 11.1 says that he is called out of Egypt. Isaiah 53.3 says that he will be rejected by his own people. Zechariah 11.12 says that, um, that he will be betrayed and sold for 30 pieces of silver, exactly the amount. Psalm 22 says that his death will be by crucifixion. Psalm 22.18 says that his clothes will have lots cast for them. Psalm 16.10 says that he will be raised from the dead. And Psalm 68.18 says that he will be ascended into heaven. This is the interesting thing about the preciseness of prophecy. Sue and I traveled for 6,400 miles in the month of September. We, yes, used sometimes Garmin, but sometimes we just took the map and we just laid the map out before us and says, let's just go by the map today. And uh, it, that keeps you alert and keeps you thinking about where you're going. But you know what? Every time we used the map, we ended up exactly where we planned on going. We never went astray. As long as we took every turn that the map said and we went exactly the way, and it, some of the turns, right? I mean, some of it's crazy. You're going all over the place. But we ended up exactly where we wanted to end up. And that's the exactness of God's word and the preciseness of God's word is the fact that, that um, if you will follow the Lord, you will end up exactly where he told you you'd be. Colossians 1.15 says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the only finger in humanity pointing to the true God because he is God himself made manifest in flesh. And so this prophecy is exact. It's precise. For our life. Do you believe that? Because I, I think that sometimes among us, there's times in our lives, and maybe I can identify this, where we feel like we're wandering a little bit. Things haven't quite worked out the way we thought they would. They end up where we thought they would end up. We're in a place that we didn't expect to be facing a situation we didn't expect to face. And it challenges the fact, is the prophecy truly precise? And it is. But at some point in time, did we get off track? Because honestly, when I'm in California, where I've never been before, and I decide to throw the map away, you all know, yeah. yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have ended up in the right place, especially trying to find the KOA camp in the middle of San Diego, holy smokes, I mean, not talk about traffic, but you know how many, how many highways there are, and how many you have to jump on and jump off to get to a place that is in San Diego, it is crazy, yeah, 
Yeah, Josiah goes, yeah, I lived there for a while. I know that. Absolutely crazy. And, and the cars are everywhere. I might have told some of you the story, but, but I was driving next to a car 70 miles an hour on the highway, and a motorcycle blew between us at 100 miles an hour. And that's been passed by the law for them to be able to do that. Yes. Well, probably not. Probably not. But it's just like, I mean, I shook for five minutes after that. Just shook. And so, we can't throw the map away. God came to two servants, and he brought a prophecy to them about the coming king. And he was precise. And it was the exact time and the exact background Joseph being line of David, Mary being a humble servant in Bethlehem. Preciseness is amazing. Now, listen to me. Do you really believe in the preciseness of the prophecy? Because if you do, it'll change your life. It'll change the direction of your life. Because you start following the revealed word. Second, second, the predicament of the prophecy. Just like Mary and Joseph, we must accept the truth and the reality of the prophecy on faith. Mary said these words after she, after she had this, um, this revelation. She said, may your word to me be fulfilled. Had not been yet fulfilled. But she said, may it be. In some, some uh, versions it says, may it be done unto me as you have said. Isn't that a lot of our life? Mm-hmm. Joseph, when he received the dream, woke up and did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. Not only believe what we've heard, but obey. But obey. Think about Joseph. He had to walk into knowing that he was not the father, but claiming the father because the baby inside of Mary had been conceived through the Holy Spirit. And God, through the, through the Holy Spirit, through the angel, directed him to do that. And he obeyed. Hebrews 2, 8 through 9 says this, Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. That's true. Jesus is sovereign God over all. And yet today, is it true? In fact, some of us have used it even as rebellion in our life. Because it doesn't appear that God is sovereign over this area, so is he really sovereign at all? Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we do see Jesus, who was made, a lo- made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And so we live by faith, the risen Savior, the God of all, the King of kings, the fact that, that for a while... We live knowing that he's standing next to the Father, sitting next to the Father, seated in honor, 
interceding on our behalf and overcoming his enemies. And, some, and you know at least one of his enemies personally, don't you? That which you have struggled with in your own life. And that Jesus Christ has and is overcoming that enemy. But it also says in 1 John 3, 2, that yet we have not seen in ourselves, right? Listen to it. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. And I love this part, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, the, the Christian life, what, what uh, Eddie and Benny need to come to understand at Casa Dorca is that Jesus didn't come just to make them a better person. But he came so that they would be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. That our lives are growing more and more like Jesus. And that we are becoming less and less like us. Are you getting the predicament? We don't see the fulfillment of it at all, and yet God is saying for us to trust in him to the point that we, as the Bible says, die to ourselves, surrender everything we have, absolutely placing our full trust in him and our full confidence in walking forward, believing that the prophecy of the coming king is the same king that is leading us in our lives. You see, the Old Testament, it, 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 it. the Old Testament tells us that it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not about, you see, legalists base the measurement of their religion on morality. True believers base it on the relationship of the indwelling kingdom of Jesus in their heart. It is God's will that you be sanctified and that you do grow and that morality is an outcome of it. But it isn't primary. It's about the fact that your life is being changed and transformed into his image. Paul says, I work continually so that Christ may be formed in you. Is that happening? Because it's a predicament. It's not logical. It's logical that my life gets better and that I start doing things better. But it's not logical that the most important thing is the fact that I am being formed into a completely different creature. Into the image of Christ. Because it's there that we overcome. It's not that we try harder. It's in Christ that we can say no to sin and yes to his will. It's in Christ. So we've shared just a few minutes about the preciseness of this prophecy and the predicament. Now let's look at the power. Because I do not want to be a person, like Timothy says, that they have a form of godliness but deny its power. I do not want to be that. Absolutely not. 
So where's the power? Where's it found? Well, I think that God chose the song today. Uh, that I speak the name of Jesus. Because the power is in his name. Now, it's not just that I just speak Jesus, but that, it's, that my life is a life that's lived with Christ and Christ crucified. And that I truly see that precisely it is the, the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except by him. That, it, that I come and look in my, the predicament of my life and I say, you know what? I'm laying logic to the side, not down, not out. We still have human logic. But that I'm going to walk sometimes against logic in the direction that God is calling me to walk because he's calling me to do it. And I'm going to walk like Mary and Joseph into what sometimes seems just strange to my mind. But I know it's true in my heart. Jesus is a name that derived from the Old Testament, Joshua, which means, Joshua means Jehovah is help, is his help, and Jehovah the Savior. The meaning comes forward into the name Jesus, who being God, is that he will save his people from their sins. That is such an important statement. He will save his people from their sins. Unlike Joshua, who is a reflection of the salvation of Jehovah to the people, Jesus becomes not only the reflection but the primary noun, the focus being who is the one who brings salvation to his people. Him alone. And so he becomes the primary focused being. Second, the powerful truth is the focus of the subject of the action. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it says... His people. His people. The powerful truth that the sovereign God has come for those he foreknew to bring salvation. Some people struggle, struggle with this because it seems unfair to them. But yet if you study the life of Jesus, two things come out that are amazing. First of all, the great rejection of those people who are called the chosen people. 1 John talks about the fact that they didn't recognize him for who he was. His own people. And so the rejection of the chosen people and then the great acceptance of those chosen people that were called dogs, unclean, and worthless by the chosen people. The Gentiles. I'm telling you something. I'm so glad that those truths are real because this Gentile was saved by Jesus. And I'm so glad of that. I hope you are too. The final power is the one I want to focus on for the rest of our time. So the power then is the focused being, Jesus, on the focused subject, his people, to create the focused change and transformation. You can see it in that statement. What did he save him from? Sin. Sin. There's a deception over the church today that believes that an action minus the gospel can and will lead people to salvation. There's a focus on a social change, not heart change. 
It puts the needs of the physical over the needs of the spiritual. I recently had a conversation with a ministry leader in our community who's involved in a ministry that brings articles uh, to people to help them in their physical needs. This person told me that it is against the rules of the organization to share the gospel or even to pray for the people that they're helping. I'm reading a book by K.P. Yohanan, the executive director of the Gospel for Asia, and he says that this has happened in Thailand. Christian missionaries put the needs of the host nation first and help usher in the 20th century. They brought in hospitals. They brought in um, all kinds of social needs that the country needed and brought them up to date in uh, the Western uh, world. Meanwhile, millions have slipped into eternity without the Lord. They died more educated, more governed, and healthier. But they died without Christ and are bound for eternity without God. We have to keep in mind that the plights of the world like poverty, war, broken families, third world countries, governments mismanaged is primarily a spiritual issue, not a physical issue. Jesus said to us, the poor you'll always have among you. That does not mean that we should not meet the needs of people. But it means that we change our primary focus to their spiritual need first. I think that's what James was trying to get at. He's saying that faith without works is dead. And certainly if we have needs that we have that we we can provide for others, we should. But never neglect the need for Jesus Christ. Because that is their primary need. You see, Jesus said that as it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. And that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of those sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Paul spent the first eight chapters of Romans building the case to a religious group of people who were built on legalism to remind them that they were sinners in need of a Savior. In need of a Savior. Now, I understand why we do these things, because it is a fearful thing to share the gospel. It is. To look at a friend and to say, because you are claiming an identity that is not of your creator, you're sinning against your creator. Repent and return. Jesus brings forgiveness. Is a scary thing. In a culture where they have embraced so many lies And where people are put down because they tell the truth. This is what we're living in. So I understand when you begin to wield the double-edged sword to cut through the bone and the marrow to the very soul of a human being through the word of God and that begins to cause pain and begins to cause um, someone to look honestly at themselves is a is a difficult thing to do. But it's what we're called to do. Not by our own judgment, but by the word of God. And the word of God will cut 
fact, I, as I thought about this and I thought about prophecy, I thought about this. Jesus said in John 16, 1, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Prophecy is also a dose of courage. The preciseness, the predicament, and the power of the coming king is the courage we need to be able to walk in. People today at 4 o'clock are going to go out into this neighborhood and they're going to knock on a door and they're going to shake. First of all, because they're not sure what to say. Second of all, because they know that they could be walking into a very painful situation in a person's life. But it is a loving thing to do because there is salvation, because there is a king who has come to set his people free from their sin. That's why he came. That's why he came. So the real power is in the blood of that king who came to overcome the power of inherent sin in all of humanity who believes and receives the truth of that king. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. I've kind of picked up, not a lot lately, but I picked up listening to a Canadian clinical psychologist by the name of Jordan Peterson. I've listened to some of his talks because logically he just, he, he speaks logically. And I've, I find it interesting that even atheists today agree with the word of God because they see the illogicalness of some of the arguments that are going around our culture of our world. And it's just fascinating to me, but I wonder if the Lord is drawing and may have drawn him to him. He said that he once had a dream. In this dream, he was walking in graveyard in his dream, and all of a sudden, one by one, famous warring kings of old came to life. People of renown, heroism, people from the past. And as they started to pop up, they came to their wits that somehow they were alive. And they turned to each other and began to do what they did naturally. They began to fight with each other. And he said, and then another king came, not from the ground, but from the sky. His name is Jesus. Represents all that is good and true. And he said, one by one, each one of these warring kings bowed down before Jesus. And he said, you have to understand something. You must have one greater than you. The one who is greatness in all good and all truth and all right that you surrender to. For that's the only way that you will find unity. Outside of that, every one of us are just warring kings looking to fight against one another. So the prophecy of the coming king is that it is precise. It is a predicament, logically, and it is power that our lives can, can be saved from sin and transformed into new creatures 
living in unity, serving side by side, freely giving away from the gift we have received. So I speak these true prophetic words over your lives and mine, that we all will turn to the King of Kings, that we would turn from our sin, and that we would find our unity in the King, Jesus, who was born to a lonely woman, and that together we walk side by side with each other in his unity because he is the great goodness of all the universe. May you know him because guess what? He's coming again. He's coming again. Stand with me. Father, I, I think of the, the person today that um, has had um, abusive prophetic words spoken over them, and they've been living under the constant um, tyranny of those words, looking in the, in the mirror and seeing themselves as what they were told they were. I pray, Lord, for the person that has spoken words like that over people. And have never come to a place where they've repented of those words. I think of your word that continually begs to speak true prophecy over our lives every day. For, for your word, as Hebrews tells us, is in Jesus Christ. And you desire to speak true words over our lives. You desire that our, our lives are guided uh, by the preciseness, by the predicament, because we need to be able to shake free from the flesh, and for our hearts and minds to be focused on you and you alone, and that, Father, that in the power, that, Lord, we then become vessels of the gospel even this Christmas. Lord, thank you for coming to two unworthy servants and for speaking words of truth over their lives that changed their lives forever. I thank you, Lord, for Mary and Joseph, who are a constant reminder of the fact that we too have spoken words over our lives and are called to be, to be indwelled with the living God, Jesus Christ, through his spirit and to go and to share that with the world. Forgive us for the times where we have held back. Forgive us for the times where we have, the predicament has overcome and we have sat and said, this doesn't make sense. Father, we live in a world that has resulted from a gospelless world. And they need Jesus Christ. Thank you for the king. Thank you, Jesus, for being our king. Guide our hearts now and direct us. Everything we do and say, may we give you glory and honor. And this pastor needs it more than anyone else. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.